Welcome to the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. I'm your host, Dave Mabel, and I'm glad you're here. My guest today, Evan Hartig, raced on the road through 2022 with the Project Echelon cycling team. He's raced in Europe and in some of the biggest U.S. stage races. In 2017, he stood atop the podium at the Collegiate National Criterium Championships. He went really hard into making a living racing bicycles until he didn't. Last fall, he got a call from the team director informing him that he'd been cut from the team. A half a year later, I ran into him at his new part-time gig of wrenching on bikes at Chain and Spoke Coffee and Bikes, while also continuing his education. In our conversation, I made the comment that trying to earn a living racing bikes must be really hard. Not just because you have to be fast, but because of how hard you have to work to make it work, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. He agreed with me, and so we decided to have a chat about that very subject and record it for the Bike Talk with Dave podcast. So I went back to Chain and Spoke with my recording equipment, had a delicious cup of coffee, and I talked with Evan as he wrapped a pair of handlebars. So you should grab a cup of Chain and Spoke coffee and join us for a discussion of It's Hard to Be a Bike Racer. Evan Hartig, I am stoked to have you on Bike Talk with Dave, and we are kind of in the chain and spoke Bike Talk with Dave studio, and I say kind of because we're actually just outside of that room (laughs) and in the, what do we call this, the shop area? Yeah, service area. Service area of chain and spoke, where you are wrenching on bikes at the moment. Uh, Can I... Struggling with uh, wrapping some bars or beautifully wrapping some bars. <laughs> I would say I would say bar tape is one of my one of my strong suits. Is it? Oh nice. yeah, oh yeah. Do you get the right direction every time? Do you of have course. to think about it? No way, man. Dude, I've been taping bars <laughs> since literally. My very first job was in a bike shop, bar bicycle. I was 14 years old, and they stuck us down in the basement. I say us. My um, the reason I got a job there is because I was buddies with the son of the owner. I was 14, he was probably 13, and uh, he was always there, so they hired me to occupy his time at the shop. (laughs) But they stuck us in the basement of Bar Bike, and I built bikes, pulled them out of the box. So I've been taping bars since... Was cloth bar tape back then, probably? There was some cloth, and there was kind of the pre-Bonotto... Or the Schwinn version of Bonotto is a Schwinn shop. It's like the plasticky stuff. Plastic, yeah, yeah, which is now like brittle and hard. Yeah, totally. If it has made it this far. Yes, absolutely. uh, Yeah, wrapped handlebar since. I'm trying to think of the year that would have been. That would have been 64, 74, 78 ish. 77, 78. shop. They were probably. They probably instructed you to build the bikes upside down back then too, right? We did build bikes upside down. Yeah. And we had this cool measuring thing we would put on the stem so that you could figure out where to put the um, uh, brake levers because we had to install the brake levers. Mm -hmm. Had to install everything. Mm -hmm. It was kind of cool. It was a great experience. Absolutely. Uh, And then have water bottle fights with the owner's son, (laughs) (laughs) which was probably most of our time. But anyway, I still have to think about, okay, what direction? Okay, what side? What direction? Anyway, so we are here. I, Evan, you raced, I'm going to say, tried to make it professionally 
on the road. And uh, I remember when you didn't. I'm sure you remember that day too. Do you know the story of how the rest of us found out? I don't actually. This do you, should be interesting. Do you want to? Will I get, <laughs> I do, yeah. will I get Zimmer in trouble? <laughs> no. I don't All right, you so will. you were racing with Project Echelon. You guys were one step below like Continental Team, right? One of the top, Correct. Um, yeah. top teams in the country. Uh, you were mixing it up on all the uh, big stage races here in the States, Redlands, uh, Tour of the Gila, and you, I mean, you're here in Des Moines, Iowa, wrapping handlebars <laughs> as the rest of the team is in New Mexico or mm -hmm. Atlanta, Georgia um, at the... Uh, uh, Speedweek, yep. Yep. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's probably not easy for you. I think we chatted last week and you got a little FOMO, is that right? <laughs> Yeah, I'd say so. It's uh, you know, it's it sort of goes both directions depending on the day. Some days I'm quite grateful for where I'm at right now, and I'm uh, other days it's it's a little bit more difficult. But I'm just trying to be content with my path and and uh, own it. And uh, I'm doing pretty well. Yeah. Day day. Well, <laughs> I, you agreed to talk to me about this, and one of the things we want to talk about is how freaking hard it is to make make it riding a bike here in the United States. Yeah. Um, so back to Back to, you were riding with Project Echelon, and uh, you were having dinner with Zimmer. Yeah, and a, food, a couple drink, other guys. yeah, it may have been, yeah, a little bit of both. Yeah, yeah, there's probably more drink later. <laughs> and you got a phone call, and you got, you took it during dinner, and got up and left, mm -hmm. and Zimmer says to the other people there, I think Megan and uh, Hayek maybe might have been part of that dinner. Yeah, yeah, I think He's he like, was there. I know what that phone call is about, <laughs> and you came back to dinner in a different mood, yeah, and you'd just been released from um, from the team. Is mm -hmm. that right? Yeah, it is. It, it, you know, it was a it was a great run, and I'm exceedingly grateful to that whole organization for all the opportunities I was able to get. Took me over to Europe for my uh, you know racing over there, and you know I kind of came up through the ranks with that team, and uh, yeah, a lot of great memories, in, incredible group of people. Um, I can't imagine being on any, any other squad, honestly, just because of the friendships that were forged with those guys. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we took it from a kind of janky little squad, you know, just operating out of the back of a, an, old <laughs> an old Ford van uh, to, you know, now, now they're, of course, the premier professional squad in the United States. So I, you know, despite not making that jump with them, I am, I, I will take a little bit of credit for the growth and development of the team. <laughs> That's awesome. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate that you're able to do that. Yeah, of course. Um, so I want to back up if, if people don't know who Evan Hartig is, um, I want to find like your origin story. I want yeah. to find out your origin story. What got you on bikes? You're from uh, Northeast Iowa. Hill country is indeed, as you say, yeah. um, Dubuque grew up in Dubuque. How'd you start riding? How'd you, how'd you get so dang good that you went over to Europe? Well, honestly, Dave, I, I really just loved riding my bike back in the day. There was really nothing other than that. I uh, had a pretty big backyard and I had a little mountain bike and I just would do laps all day long, you know, and when I had the time, I'd just go out there and, you know, freak my grandma and my mom out, you know, jumping off rock walls and, and stuff like that. But I just couldn't get enough of mountain biking. It was, it was amazing. I just took to it. I think my dad kind of 
saw that I gravitated toward the sport and uh, you know he wanted you know as dads do wanted me to find a, an athletic pursuit um, we, you know. we do like to live vicariously <laughs> through our children that's 100% accurate that's a whole nother conversation for another day man. <laughs> right but uh, yeah it's uh, it just kind of went from there and grew um, ultimately I kind of traded the fat tires for for more road racing and uh, you know, came up through the junior ranks uh, in Iowa, raced a lot in Wisconsin as well. There's a, you know, there was a great um, kind of grassroots junior racing program over with the Wisconsin Cycling Series back in the day. Um, you know, I remember getting like thrashed by, you know, Katie Antino back in the day. Like she would just take it to me, and um, a lot of good athletes came out of that scene. And uh, yeah, it was it was great. Just kind of went from there and grew and developed and. Yeah, to uh, to the point where we're at now. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, um, I got beat by Katie Antonio's dad, so I have that to uh, <laughs> Makes hang sense. my hat on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so from Wisconsin to you're not. I mean, how old are you? Twenty-seven. So you're not like old. No, not so you say back in the day, like I'm talking back in the day, like no, uh, this was this was probably like you know 2006, 2007, 2008 around there. Yeah. So, so I was just you know 12, 13 years old, kind of. I started racing when I was nine and did the mountain bike thing for a couple of years uh, heavily. Um, that's kind of where my skill set developed, I would say, and I'm. I think that those you know th those skills correlate very well across the spectrum of bicycles. It doesn't matter what you're doing, but if you grow up on a mountain bike, you're going to be pretty dang good at everything. I think so. I won't disagree with that. I think it's a great foundation for sure. No doubt. You learn the feel of a bike when it mm -hmm. the rear wheel slips out a little bit. <laughs> or, you know, if things aren't perfect on the road, like mountain biking helps you correct them because you have felt it before. No doubt, yeah. So how'd you end up on Project Echelon? Like what, what was the um, jump to, to that level of racing mm -hmm. for you? Uh, I think the moment, the, the, the kind of crux moment was um, 2017, I won a collegiate Criterium Nationals in Grand Junction. Um, I was on the Lindenwood University cycling team. Um, and yeah, that, at that moment, I, you know, I kind of went from just dragging my heels and kind of enjoying the sport, but, you know, having a difficult time committing myself fully as a, you know, as a teenager slash, you know, young adult, adolescent. It was uh, obviously lots going on at that point in your life. So, but after, after that national championship, you know, I had, had the jersey and had a little bit of notoriety from it. Very minimal, but a little bit, of course. It's collegiate nationals. It's something. Um, Weren't you on the cover of... Uh ESPN the magazine <laughs> yeah, that, that's or Sports it. Illustrated or something. Yeah, I had everybody back in town asking for my autograph and yep. stuff. It was, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know that. So after that, after that happened, uh, Eric Eric Hill, Project Project Echelon uh, general manager and, and founder, uh, started recruiting me pretty heavily. Um, and you know there was, I think for one season I declined, and then the following season I, I finally gave in to him. He was pretty relentless. Um, but back in the day, it was funny, you know. We, believe it or not, Project Echelon used to be kind of a—I wouldn't say laughing stock, but they used to be a little bit of a, a funny organization. I think a lot of us viewed them as, you know, a little bit, little bit—I uh, <laughs> don't even know how to describe it. There was a lot of, uh, you know, cost-cutting measures and, and budget budget measures that, you know, honestly, you know. Uh, 
looking back, have, 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 have really contributed to the longevity of the, or the team. But back then, it was like almost just funny. You, you guys are just like scrapping and clawing your way around absolutely. the country. Yeah, absolutely. It was it was kind of funny, you know, the things that we resorted to. I know everybody that, you know, has been in this sport for, you know, at that level, kind of that pro amateur level, you know, it's like you're dealing with pretty minimal budgets, but you're you're trying to do a lot with very little. So you end up resorting to some <laughs> some interesting methods to stay afloat, of course. Well I'm gonna say, you know, coming from what what I say back in the day, mm -hmm. you know, term dirtbag biker <laughs> is we we did not have hundred and fifty thousand uh, dollar Mercedes Sprinter vans <laughs> decked out with heaters and solar panels and mm -hmm. and uh, showers and and could sleep five and carry eighteen bikes. We did not have that. We were like. Five guys crammed into yep. a 1972 Ford Maverick, yep. and uh, five bikes on the roof, and we would get to a race, and we would sleep on somebody's floor if yep. we were lucky. Sounds pretty familiar. And uh, and you'd make it work. <laughs> yep. Sounds like that's kind of where you guys started. Yeah, absolutely. You know, as a as an 18, 19, 20 year old person, you're uh, you're. That's okay, you know, you're, you're fine with that. It's kind of like living that nomadic lifestyle, a little bit of on the road, you know, Jack Kerouac style, you know, all kinds of stuff going on. You know, maybe venturing away from your, your home or, you know, a, 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 your comfortable environment for the first time in your life. And, you know, it's, it's an adventure. Uh, and so you, you're okay with, uh, you know, lack of accommodations and a lot of, a lot of circumstances. But yeah, you know, we, the, the, the old van trailer combination we had, I mean, we, couple times and lose parts on the highway things like that and you know fortunately nobody nobody ever got injured and there were you know we, we kept it pretty safe but yeah that was that was an interesting couple of years there <laughs> yeah no doubt no doubt so here you are in Des Moines Zimmers in Des Moines you guys kind of come here and are training together riding together um, what brought you to De why did you come to Des Moines well, honestly, I gotta give credit where credit's due there. Uh, Matt and Megan Zimmer were instrumental in bringing my partner Anna and I to Des Moines. We did two years in Southern California, in Redlands of all places actually, um, and we, we moved out there for her career. And um, you know, COVID 2020, we came back to Iowa during the summer to visit family, and uh, which you know may or may not have been prudent, but we did it anyway. We were really missing missing home, so. Um, and on the way back to California, we stopped through Des Moines uh, to visit the Zimmers, and uh, yeah, we were like, dang, we had a we had a great night out. Went to Eater Yay with Jason Simpson. You know, met some of the gang. Oh, Simpson he sold gave us you the on tour. Des Moines. Well, you know, you know how. You know <laughs> I how do goes. know. You know how it goes. Um, so we had a we had an amazing evening. You know, we're a little bit a little bit painful the next morning to get back on the road and uh, go back to California, but. Um, yeah, and then when it was time to get out of Cali, we were like, well, we have this list of places, you know, and Des Moines meets a whole lot of the, uh, our, you know, that, that list that we had created of, you know, necessities of our future community needs to have. And we were like, okay, well, yeah, Des Moines got a lot of this stuff and we just, we decided on it and decided to go for it. Um, being from Iowa originally, feels a lot like home, of course, but it's a proper city. There's lots of amenities, lots of cool stuff going on. Um, so it was a pretty easy decision, to be honest with you wasn't yet but is now an awesome coffee bike shop here indeed yeah indeed <laughs> a lot going on in this in this community right now it's a lot of really cool exciting stuff uh, it's fun to be a part of so 
Yeah, no doubt. Well, uh, you're a welcome member of this community, that's for sure. Sweet. Um, so you're trying to make it uh, big time. What was your aspiration? What was your goal? What was your dream on the bike? I really wanted to be a European professional. I really did. I, I wanted to go over there and I wanted to, you know, get a ride with a continental program and, you know, do the thing, do the, do the thing we, you know, we all dream about. And that, uh, you know, I saw a glimpse of that and uh, I am, I can hang my head on the fact that I went over there and didn't get absolutely, like, completely destroyed. Uh, you know, I was able to finish some races in the, in the field and kind of got, dipped my toe in, so to speak. But yeah, that was the dream. I mean, I grew up watching, as many of us did, grew up watching, uh, you know, the USPS team over there and doing their thing, which, you know, of course, you know, may or may not have been fully legit, but <laughs> they were winning, man. They were doing their thing. And it was quite inspiring as a, as a young guy. Um, so that's kind of what got my, got my gears turning. Um, but the thing was, you know, you don't really realize what, what that entails, you know? Um, and you, you may have, you know, created a dream for yourself that, you know, isn't fully, you know, fully, uh, fully meshed out as far as, you know, understanding exactly what goes into that. So, but it was good. Um, yeah, the, the, uh, the Lanciers were, I just saw a quote from Johan Bronil that like kicking him out was crazy. Like 90% of the Peloton was on it on. EPO. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's not my quote. That is Ber Bernil's quote. Yeah. But uh, so I, I don't know. I I don't go back. We could that could be a whole nother. It could indeed. <laughs> probably a series of podcasts like that yeah. whole whole era. But it, yeah. it definitely did have its effect. I mean, mm -hmm. I watched Armstrong. Um, my mom had cancer. Mm -hmm. We're sitting in a, an appointment, and I pull up Time Magazine or Newsweek or something, and I find an article about this dude who had cancer, mm -hmm. and he's going to go race the Tour de France mm -hmm. for the first time. I was like, Mom, look, like he made it. And mm -hmm. that was inspiration for her. And then his, the day he won the prologue and went into the yellow jersey in 1999, mm -hmm. uh, I think was her birthday. Okay. July 3rd. And uh, Ma, like I was crying mm -hmm. because like he's gonna, he made it. Yeah, and absolutely. so mom can make it. So I 100% get that. And, and he was an inspiration for a ton of us. Yeah, and that's undeniable, you know, regardless of everything that, that came to light, it, you, it's, you can't, you can't um, diminish that effect, you know, on, on so many people. And so, yeah, we all kind of had our own experience with that. And I, I remember, I remember the Oprah special and I literally was, I, I was, I was pretty, uh, I got pretty emotional when everything came to light and, and the confession happened, but you know, we move on. We do, we yeah. do move on. Funny story about that actually, I, uh, so I studied journalism for a couple of years in, in college at Lindenwood and um, one of my first internships was with cyclingtips.com in Boulder. Got to work with Neil Rogers, uh, he's a great mentor. Um, my first interview ever, um, Actually, I went to Vecchio's bike shop in Boulder and uh, I was instructed to <laughs> try to pin down Lance for an interview. Uh, and I'm so green. I mean, I don't, I've never, I've literally never- You're a college kid. I, I've never interviewed anybody ever. I don't even know what's, what it entails. And Neil goes to me, he goes, hey, you know, Lance is gonna be at Vecchio's. Why don't you go over there and try to talk to him? I'm like, oh shit, <laughs> are you kidding me, man? So uh, yeah, I ended up going over there and uh, he's, I think it was just at the, you know, early days when he had the Move podcast getting off the ground, and I think it was some promotional thing with Outside Matt. I don't remember what it was, but 
yeah, I went and, you know, after, after his little spiel was done, I went and introduced myself to him. And he just totally, like, cool guyed me. Like, he goes, what? When I introduced myself to him, like, he couldn't hear what I said. And I'm like, come on, bro. You're really going to do this to me? You have no idea. You have no idea. Like, come on, bro. But, yeah, and, and that kind of, you know. Did you get an interview with him? I did. I asked, like, three questions. Just so bland, so generic. But, you know, like, we had a little chat. But it was a really, really weird experience, you know, talking to your, 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 you know, your disgraced, you know, idol, childhood hero. Um, it was just, it was an interesting, interesting experience for me. I'm sure. Yeah. Well, that's just like uh, what I get to do right now with uh, with you. Although you're not disgraced, <laughs> not yet. You're not, not yet. disgraced. <laughs> not yet. Not yet. So let me ask you this. I want to just harping on your history before we get to your present and future. Um, so 2017 collegiate crit mm -hmm. national champ. Yep. Uh, is that Sepkusage? Sepkusage? Like, were you in that era? Yeah, that's my that's my age demographic. It was. Let's see. I'm trying to remember who was winning at that time. But yeah, Sep was for sure cleaning up on the mountain bike side of things back then. Uh, and I remember just getting. I literally got lapped by him at collegiate mountain bike nationals a couple times. Um, Oof. I remember in Beach Beach Mountain, North Carolina. You know, you're, it's the classic cross-country course where you're climbing up the ski hill and then bombing down every lap. And I, I do believe I got lapped by Sep, so that I can put that on my Palmaris. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, he didn't win 2017 Collegiate National Criterium Championship. No, he didn't. Do you, do you, okay, you're wrenching on bikes here. Do you look at Sep and are like, ah, I mean, that was my dream. Yeah. No. Well, yes, it's, of course it was my dream, but, you know, I'm, I'm no Sepkus and I'm realistic with that. You know, I, I don't think that um, I ever had that kind of thing in me. You know, looking back on it, I think that that's a unique athlete, a, gen a, genera a generational talent in a lot of ways. And you know, I may be okay on a bike, but I'm not. I'm not a Sepkus. You know, I, my skill set is very skill based. It's very, um, you know, I'm not a genetic freak. I'm not. I don't have a huge engine. What I do have is a lot of. Um, you know, a lot of knowledge about bike racing. I can handle my bike. I can, I can be a good leader on the road. That's what kind of helped me out uh, on the road, on the road side of things with the team. So, yeah, yeah, dig it. Um, okay, so let's uh, let's dive into what you did to make it work. Yeah. Um, you you alluded to the fact that, whew, I didn't I didn't really know what I was dreaming of or yeah. dreaming for. Mm -hmm. Um, what did you learn about that? Well, I think a lot of my successes on the bike came from moments where I just really capitalized on a specific moment in a race and, and, you know, my intuition kind of led me to that, to those moments. But that's, that's not, you're not going to be winning consistently if that's your, your, you know, your method. Um, the guys that win consistently are consistent in all the other aspects of their life as well, with training, diet, focus, you know, mental, mental side of things as well. Um, and I had a hard time with that. Still do, really, in a lot of ways. Um, you know, my, my personality does not dictate that kind of like, you know, monastic day-to-day -day dedication that you, you just need to be successful at this sport. Um, of course, I've come a long way with that stuff, realizing that ultimately, at the end of the day, you have, you have to you know, employ some level of that uh, to be good at the pro level, of course. But 
always a struggle for me. It was always a struggle. Um, and I took, you know, despite that, I took it pretty far, not having those skills built into my, you know, psyche. I took it quite far. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, ultimately, I think there was a ceiling for me. Um, you know, I, and, and that's something I've learned and that I'm content with. So are you talking about the stuff like the discipline to it's 42 degrees and spitting sleet and snow and you have a four and a half hour ride on the schedule and you somehow get that four and a half hour ride done? Are you talking about the on my meal plan are four grains of rice today <laughs> and you stick to that four yeah. grains of rice well fortunately I've, I've always been a you know i haven't been a huge power to weight type rider so i haven't had any dietary uh you know crazy moments which is really fortunate uh it's also could be a whole nother conversation is that you know the ugly side of things with disordered eating and whatnot but for sure um no for me i guess it you know it was uh I think that my personality kind of has always dictated that I need more than one thing sustaining me. So, you know, to have just cycling be the, the, the primary focus, the primary, you know, day-to-day um, -day thing in my life, I was always, you know, had a little bit of dissatisfaction in the back of my mind because I was like, well, what about all the other stuff in life that I'm neglecting right now? You know, I, I'm neglecting my... Maybe it's family, maybe it's career, maybe it's school, maybe, you know, it could be a whole, whole number of things. But at the end of the day, you know, that's kind of what, it, what, the, what, what the lifestyle dictates is that you exclude everything else in pursuit of that singular, um, that singular goal, you know, whatever it may be uh, in cycling. So that's always what I had the problem with. I don't think, you know, I, I had the discipline. I knew that I needed to get out for those training rides and the, and the crap, you know, and I, and I did that. Um, but it was more just the constant kind of background voice telling me, hey, man, like, what about this other stuff that you're, like, leaving behind, you're neglecting? Yeah, I get that. I remember a dude who, and I'm talking Masters Cat 3 guy, mm -hmm. uh, but he disappeared mm -hmm. from the scene. He was prolific mm -hmm. local scene, mm -hmm. um, and then he disappeared, and we're like, what ever happened to, uh, to Mike? Mm -hmm. and we're like, uh, he was neglecting his daughter, mm -hmm. and he decided not to. Yeah. So it's 100%. It, it's a lot of hours yeah, it is. on the bike. Yeah, it is. And you really have to, um, to make a commitment to mm -hmm. make that work. Absolutely. For sure. So talk to me about the transition and acceptance. Mm -hmm. uh, getting a phone call from Project Echelon. Like, what went through your head as you got that phone call? Like, are you like, dang it, I'm going to make it work and I'm going to find somewhere else? Or am I like, ah, I'm done? moving down this mm -hmm. professional dream road? Mm -hmm. um, I was pretty accepting uh, from the onset of that conversation with Eric. You know, it was, it was something that I had been, you know, it, it had been in my subconscious for quite some time because there had been a number of things that were, that, you know, the, the, the background noise was building louder and louder. And it was, at, I was at the point where, you know, it was kind of like, well, you either, you either, you know, make a change or you're going to lose some things of value in your life, you know, that you really care about. And it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I chose, the decision was made for me, of course, but <laughs> I think that, you know, now looking back on it, it was the, by far the healthy, healthiest option for me. Um, 
you know, it was, you know, not to disclose anything about my personal life too deeply, but like it was really hard on my relationship, you know, in a lot of ways. You know, I was gone often. You know, I was working part time. You know, I was not pulling my weight in a lot of different ways, and that that's ultimately I decided that my relationship is way too important to, ne to neglect to that extent. And, uh, you know, some people may be able to do it, make it work. I was not one of those people, and uh, a change needed to happen. Well, I don't think that's a surprise mm -hmm. because just the training takes you away. And if right. you have a job, it's like, okay, get home from work, and now you get on your bike, mm -hmm. and, uh, and you got to get your three or four hour ride in or whatever, yep. your intervals, your mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and in the winter, like you go down to the basement or in the garage and do the same. So it's definitely a time suck. Oh yeah. Uh, not to mention heading over to uh, tour the Redlands, yeah. tour the Gila, yep. Joe Martin, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, super week, mm -hmm. tour the Dairyland. All that stuff is a total time suck. Mm -hmm. and. Uh, and hard to get away. So that's not surprising. How do you think guys m make it? And I say guys generically, like uh, in mm -hmm. town, Megan Eastler is, mm -hmm. has uh, jumped on that Continental squad. Mm -hmm. uh, Zimmer's still racing. Um, mm -hmm. Got the uh, KOM in Mallorca, which is super cool. Absolutely. Um, on the well, Liz Van Howling is doing it in her basement mm -hmm. on the uh, Zwift mm -hmm. platform, and then uh, Marissa Marista. Mm -hmm. I have to say it like that. <laughs> um, doing it on gravel. Like, how do people? How do you think they do that? Because it's. I mean, it is hard. Yeah, of course. So, I mean, I. I think that. Either, okay, so just a disclaimer here. I, I long ago stopped comparing myself to Matt Zimmer and the things that he's able to do in <laughs> Fair his enough. life because he is, a, he is a special human being with uh, special talents and, and, and abilities that very, very few people have in this world. Um, you know, he's, he's able to bring a huge level of balance. Uh, he, of course, he has a supportive family. Um, uh, he's got a newborn. Newborn Jonesy, and he's got a he's got a full time job at Month End, um, and he he makes it work because he's extremely motivated and extremely dedicated, and has an ability to to utilize every hour of the day, unlike anybody I've ever seen. And that's not me. Fair <laughs> enough. I don't think it is a lot of people, but I think of course you have to have a, a level of that, you know, kind of, you know, ability to make it work, or. You know, you're sacrificing stuff, and uh, I think that it's kind of it's it's a it's a coin toss. You know, you're, you're either you're either a unique sort of individual, um, or you're you know overlooking, neglecting a lot of aspects of your life, whatever that may be. Um, and I think people, you know, of course, it's a balance, or it's a sometimes a mix of both. You know, um, but yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's a it's an interesting game to play. Uh, it's a, a lot of balls to keep in the air at once um, if you want to have a, a normal, well-adjusted life. Right. Um, I don't think it's different than, I mean, cycling, the training takes a long time, but golfers, 18 holes takes four or five hours. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're a marathon runner, that you're out on the road a long time. So it's, mm -hmm. it's not unique to cycling, per se. Mm -hmm. um, and you use the word a lot of balls in the air. So let's make an analogy mm -hmm. to, you were basically on the, like, uh, 
double A, triple A baseball kind of level mm-hmm. if we were to do that. So, um, isn't there a team in Dubuque? The Dubuque Mudhens or something? Uh, well, I, I don't know if Dubuque's got one, but we've obviously got the Iowa Cubs. Well, we have the yeah. Iowa Cubs. Would yeah. you say you were at that level? Yeah, I think that would be very comparable to where I was at, yeah. Okay, so those guys have paychecks. They do. They don't have to go have a part-time, full-time job nope. in order to play baseball. Nope. Uh, at, uh, I was going to say Sec Taylor Stadium, <laughs> Principal Park. Principal Park, yeah. Yep. Um, but Zimmer has a freaking full-time job. He you does, had yeah. to have a job. If you were paid what an Iowa Cub third baseman is paid, mm-hmm. would you have had the same issues? Do you think it's a a money, like throw money into your (laughs) equation and does that help you make it work? Um, I think that it would have definitely made things a lot easier, but I don't think it would have solved problems completely because, you know, at the end of the day, it's it's still professional sport. It's still a short term, you know, uh, you know, viable, uh, you know, career length. Um, and you got to have something else going on. You got to have another skill. You have to have some sort of real life, I say real life in quotes, uh, hard skills to, to make it work after the sport's done. Um, you know, a lot of us have gone to college, a lot of us have degrees, but you know, if a degree is only worth so much, especially if you don't utilize it at all for the, you know, 10 years after, after you graduate. Um, so, yeah, I think that, of course, the financial end of things is, is, is pretty critical, but I think even if I would have been, you know, making $50,000 a year as a professional cyclist, I don't, you know, I think there still would have been that, that background voice like I spoke on earlier, like, what, what's going to happen after this? You know, what, what do you, what do you, how is the time you're, you know, allocating right now going to have any sort of return on investment, you know, uh, in 10 years down the line? Um, and of course, many people go into you know, the end of the cycling industry or, you know, media or whatever it may be, but you're wrapping handlebars right now Indeed. in the cycling industry. Indeed. We'll talk about that in a minute. That's not your, <laughs> yeah. that's not your end game, but it's not, but you're no. right. A lot of people do. Uh, uh, Chris Daggs is DSing with the above and beyond. And, uh, I don't know. I don't have any other good examples of people who've transitioned into the bike industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Stephen Hyde, there you yeah, go. Working with the uh, cyclocross program yep. at, uh, um, on the U.S. team. Indeed, yep. Those are the only ones I can think of off the top of my head. I don't think Caitlin Antoineau is no, working she's, in the industry anymore. I think she's got a, a little bit of a property management gig going That's on. That's right. With I Luke, think they do. Yep. Uh, which seems like a good gig. Um, and renovating uh, Land Rovers or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so what what's your get where are you headed? So currently, so I did a did a year at a construction accounting firm called Month End. Um, kind of got my got my wheels turning and uh, you know was exposed to the the building industry and uh, kind of found a lot of lot of areas of similarity or things that I could kind of uh, I don't know relate to in that career or in that industry, I should say, because it's, 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 it's really interesting. It's a huge spectrum of individuals that are in that industry, right? You've got everything from your, your, you know, your just traditional rough around the edges, you know, worker guys, all the way up to, 
you know, developers and architects and like really, really educated professional people. And I, I've always had that kind of ability to, to, to float around that spectrum and communicate effectively across that whole spectrum. And so I was like, well, hell, this seems like it could be a good choice for me. Um, so yeah, I'm back, back in school right now, getting a construction management degree, and I am also working for a local general contractor, uh, Cutler Construction. Um, and yeah, getting my, getting my hands dirty in the field a bit, you know, doing some stuff in the back office, um, doing some pre-construction on a local project here, figuring out budgets and scopes of work for our subcontractors or whatnot. It's really interesting, I'm learning a lot. It's, yeah, it's, it's a great, I think it's, I'm pretty secure with the choice so far, and I think it's just gonna continue to be affirmed, so. Very cool, do yeah. you get on the bike at all? I do, yeah, I still ride a decent amount. Been riding my mountain bike very often. Um, you know, it's great, I just had a conversation with, with my girlfriend, Anna, yesterday. Was, she said, are you gonna go to the grocery store now or later? And I'm like, well, I think I'm gonna ride right now. And she's like, well, so you're gonna go to the grocery store in like three hours. And I'm like, well, no, I don't ride three hours anymore. I ride like, you know, an hour or 90 minutes, you know? And she's like, oh yeah, that's right. I'm still adjusting to this. Nice, nice. Yeah. So did that put a smile on her face? It did, yeah, she was stoked on that. And I did go to the grocery store and uh, we had dinner uh, with our- with At our, a normal time? At, at a normal, reasonable hour. Not yeah. at 9 p.m.? Nope. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, do you, are you competitive at all? Uh, yeah, locally I've been racing a little bit, doing some gravel stuff. Um, you know, it's been really fun for me to plug back into the, the local scene, um, especially here in Des Moines. It's extremely strong. We've got races every weekend, whether it be gravel, road, um, mountain bike. You know, it's, this has given me an opportunity to get into some other disciplines that I never had really time to fit into my schedule. Um, and yeah, kind of become a member of the community here. You know, you can't be a member of the community if you're gone every weekend, right? Correct. So uh, Correct. I've been having a really good time here locally. Um, yeah, I mean, hot take, but I think Des Moines is uh, one of the, if not the best cycling community in the country. Uh, that was not as... a paid advertisement <laughs> by the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah, don't, don't move to Iowa, please. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot going on here. I feel really fortunate to be plugged into the scene already, only having lived here for 18 months. So it's really, really a beautiful thing. Mm. Uh, we're glad to have you, for sure. Sweet. Um, Do you do Pella Roubaix? I didn't do Pella, no, I was, uh, well this is, here's another example, right? Of course, I, you know, Pella was, I was intrigued, wanted to race, but I had some family functions over in Omaha and I went and attended to those instead. And you know, that's, those are, that's a perfect example of a decision that I made and family's important, you know? And uh, I was, you know, increasingly dis discontent with, you know, neglecting that side of my life. And uh, that's why we've made the, the adjustments that we've made. Huh, very cool, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Do you have aspirations on the bike at all? Oh, that's an interesting question, Dave. You I know, mean, I, you're not old. <laughs> you're literally less than I'm half not. my age, and I do still race my bike, <laughs> yeah. quote, unquote, race my bike, but I do still pin a number on, and, and yeah. I don't feel like it's something that you have to up and leave 100%, mm -hmm. but that's just my opinion. No, I, I agree with you, and I, I, I think the whole point of cycling for me is that it's an activity at the end of the day. It's not a, it's not a singular sport. It's not a, it doesn't have to be an athletic pursuit even. It can be a completely casual, fun, you know, uh, pastime. And I think that for sure here in Des Moines, I think a large part of our community is completely recreational riders. And it's like, 
they're just doing it to have a good time, have an excuse to have a couple beers and not feel so bad about it. You know, hang out with their friends, you know, cruise and enjoy the beautiful Iowa countryside during the summertime. You know, it's just a, it's an amazing thing. But for me personally, I uh, I definitely have aspirations uh, on the athletic side of things. <laughs> still, uh, I still I still have goals in the sport that I have yet to meet, and uh, I'm plotting in the background. So you'll see me. <laughs> Boy, my curiosity is peaked. Yep. Yeah, you'll see me out there, and that goes to all of our listeners as well. So, <laughs> so not just locally, not just the. Uh... No, definitely not. Ah, all right, Leadville. I don't know. Would about you ever want to do Leadville? I'm not that much of a masochist, man. <laughs> oh, it's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, um, I, you know, maybe not Leadville, but I definitely, you know, have some mountain bike goals. You know, I again that comprised a big part of my journey up through the sport, and I, I still have a. Uh, inclination towards it so I think that it will be part of it um, I've done Breck Epic a couple times and that's an mm. incredible incredible event um, highly recommend um, so I'd like to do some stuff like that of course but you know crits are my bread and butter crits are my passion that's where I'm really really love it love like just feel most in my element so and uh, Fortunately, as well, it requires the, the least allocation of training hours, probably, of any cycling sub For sure, for sure. Um, yeah, a, even less than mountain biking. <laughs> there's a lot that goes into crit racing that is entirely unrelated to your fitness level. Um, and those, you know, happen to be the thing, my, my, my skills. So, you know, I, I think that it could be a great way to balance a, 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 you know, a career and a family and, a, and cycling as well. as like, you know, you can train 10, 12 hours a week for me, for me personally and be probably at my best, you know, um, and that's, that's exciting. So I have yet to, you know, totally figure out what I'm going to do. Obviously need some support, need some, uh, some people behind me need a little bit of a program. Um, but yeah, I'm definitely going to be back, uh, just taking a little sabbatical here. So <laughs> yeah, awesome. Awesome. Well, that's good to hear. Well, I, I appreciate your candor and openness and willingness to, uh, to talk. Uh, one kind of final question mm -hmm. is life as a, is it, I don't even know how to phrase this, but how hard is it for someone to be a professional bike racer in the United States? Um, that's an interesting question. I mean, it, I think I would do a lot of things differently looking back, you know, of course, but, um, I think that, I mean, if, if, if you look at our, our athletes that are over in Europe right now performing well, we've got more than we've probably ever had, you know, maybe, maybe not back in the, you know, 70s and 80s, but I mean, we're, we're killing it right now. For sure. 100%. You know? um, and I think what you're seeing right now, honestly, is the, is the um, kind of subsequent, like after effects of the whole Lance thing, like in the whole, like strong... American cycling, like like competitive cycling culture back in the late 90s, early 2000s, when all these guys, like me, myself included, were, you know, kids, um, you know, with parents who were into the sports as well. And like, you're, you're seeing tons of, tons of like just uber talents right now um, on the scene. And there are opportunities, there really are. You just gotta, you just gotta be willing to put yourself out there and, and deal with some discomfort and, uh, you know, there's definitely just a necessity to be a 
extremely driven, you know, well-rounded individual to, to make it work. But I, I, I would by no means discourage my future child from trying to make it, um, you know, but we would do things a little differently. <laughs> Hindsight's twenty twenty. Of isn't course, it? yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Evan Hartig, uh, what a pleasure to have you on from the Chain and Spoke Bike Talk with Dave studio kind of <laughs> hybrid hybrid space hybrid space yeah absolutely i don't know i'm kind of thinking the acoustics might be a little better out here it was a little echoey in there Perhaps. which we are going to work on for my next uh conversation in the actual studio but nonetheless thanks tons for coming on and uh and thanks chain and spoke for supporting the uh bike talk with dave uh adventure <laughs> across the stratosphere so evan thanks tons for being on and uh i hear you uh still wrapping bars <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks dave i appreciate you bringing me on man and uh, yeah i'll get this done maybe by the end of the day <laughs> i uh it's only 40 minutes you've been working on that so not too bad not too bad someday so you can aspire to be as good as uh, a bar <laughs> all right peace brother take care dave thanks I want to thank Evan for talking with me today, and I also want to thank you for tuning in to today's episode from the Bike Talk with Dave studio at Chain and Spoke Coffee. It's great coffee, and you can order the beans no matter where you live. Just click on chainandspoke.com and you can get a couple of bags sent your way. And if you're in Des Moines, stop by the shop at 28th and Ingersoll. Thanks again to Evan for sharing his story. From the outside, which because of social media, we think we're on the inside, but from the outside, the life of a professional bike racer looks pretty attractive. Endless days on the bike, traveling the country and the world, a sweet sprinter van, fancy new bikes. But Evan reminds us that it's freaking hard. And not just because you have to be fast, you're always riding your bike, even when it's crappy out or into the night because you have to work a full-time job just to make ends meet. You're traveling all the time, which sounds awesome until you're traveling all the time and you realize you're gone all the time. You've got to watch your diet, your beers, your cake, your ice cream, all the good things. Like, it's just hard. To race at the highest level is a huge sacrifice. And again, sometimes it just doesn't work out. I'm excited for Evan and his future, and I look forward to running into him on mountain biking the local trails and watch as he builds his career in the construction management business. And until then, I'll certainly enjoy a cup of hot coffee chatting with him while he brings new life to some lucky bike at Chain and Spoke. Now, I also have to thank BikeIowa.com for being the online host of Bike Talk with Dave. BikeIowa.com has one of the most extensive lists of cycling events anywhere. From gravel races to party rides, Bike Iowa has it all. And Bike Month is coming up, so be sure and follow along on all the events the entire month of May. Now, I'd also like to remind you about the Rock Mountain Bike Race hosted by the Bike Iowa Racing Team on June 17th at the White Rock Conservancy near Coon Rapids, Iowa. We hope to see you there. It's a great place to enjoy miles of winding single track. 
and this very weekend we'll be in northeast Iowa enjoying the beautiful hills of the Driftless region for the Driftless gravel races. I'd also like to invite you to Gary's Ride, a charity ride from Waukee to Dallas Center on May 20th with food, music, beer, and a great cause, fighting cancer. Again, look for all of these rides on bikeiowa.com. And thank you for listening to Bike Talk with Dave. If you'd like to support the show, you can do so by rating, reviewing, and sharing. If you'd like to support the show financially and help improve it, you can go to buymeacoffee.com and look for Bike Talk with Dave. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you do, I'll send you a Bike Talk with Dave sticker. One of the things we've done to improve the show is a new website. If you'd like a place to find all of the episodes online in one spot on your computer, you can go to biketalk.bike. It's just like the internet. You can listen to any episode and you don't need to use an app. Again, that's biketalk.bike. Check it out. That's all for now. I hope you have a great week and get out and ride. <laughs>